Welcome to The Tangent Tree. My name's Samantha Stephen. And my name is Simon Dillon, but it's pronounced Raymond Luxury Yacht. Oh, you just... Throat wobbler. Oh, yes, sorry. Throat wobbler you, if mangrove. If you can't deliver the line, don't deliver the no, line. No, I know. That, that, was, that was actually a very, very poor half-attempted... Heinous, hideous, and yes. people are turning in their graves. Actually, they're not dead to turn in their graves. One of them is. Actually, two of them are. Actually, how many pythons are dead? Is it just the one? It is, isn't it? Graham Chapman. Maybe. I think one of them's dead and one of them's dying. Or, or has got a disease. This just became so dark and horrific. <laughs> like, who wants to talk about the death I'm of sure the one, I'm sure one of them's got, got no, some... Here's the fact of the matter. They live eternally. Okay. Through their great work. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> Shall we settle for that? Yes, okay. We okay. just had like a mini argument clinic moment. It did. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no, we didn't. <laughs> okay. So today we have an amazing uh podcast episode which we actually were talking about before we even launched the podcast which is favorite versus greatest yes that's correct before we start on this do you want to maybe set up the premise because some people may be saying isn't that the same thing why is there a difference there is a difference if you're as insanely nerdy as i am about films or books or basically any form of art and believe us insanely is an accurate word to use okay well the point being uh there are films that you enjoy but objectively are not necessarily great films, or they could be, but they but you really enjoy them. And there are other films that are undoubtedly cinematic milestones that, you know, formed the grammar of cinema, for want of a better expression. But actually, you don't necessarily have the same passion for them because they perhaps mean less to you personally, even if they are undoubtedly great pieces of cinema. And they may be and you may love them as well, but I'm just so there is obviously an overlap. Yes, but I think a lot of times you'll see that magazines or um, any whenever there's a ranking, sometimes people get confused when they're voting for things. Prime examples are our friend. Well, did he believe it was the greatest trilogy uh, are you, are or you did referring he, was it to his favourite? Okay, okay, so he believed that the Mighty Ducks trilogy was the greatest trilogy of all time. And I think... Did, no, did he? was it the greatest or his favourite? I, I think it was his favourite, but the reality is that I don't think it would occur to him to make a distinction between the two. And it is an important distinction because I actually think you shouldn't belittle people for their favorite films because there's all no. sorts of reasons a film could be someone's favorite. It could be nostalgia. It could be um, that it, they just watched it at the right moment in the time and it had all the perfect feels in terms of what was going on in their life and what was going I'm on. I'm sorry, in the film. feelings. What are they again? <laughs> but do you know what I mean? There's many factors that could define favorite, and I don't think you should assume or belittle them for people, but greatest. That is a more inflexible line, I think. Well, I agree. And I think that um, that is one of the challenges that one has when one converses with people about the cinematic arts. I love that you talk about yourself as if you are the queen. Uh, of course. <laughs> the royal we. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, so, I mean, here's the thing, okay? You're absolutely right, and here's why. I have films that are guilty pleasures. They are, objectively speaking, not good films in any way. In fact, in some cases, they are dreadful Okay, so I could list a few. I won't at this point, but I could list a few films that are definitely, I think probably perhaps no one else on the entire planet likes them apart from me. Yes. But I like them for a particular reason, even though objectively they're not good. So what we're saying is favourite is essentially intensely personal. It is. I mean, you can have a favourite film that is an acknowledged classic, obviously. Yes. Many of mine are because I have phenomenal taste, I just say. <laughs> and the humility strikes again. <laughs> does indeed okay well today we've got quite an exciting challenge which we geeked out over messenger on which is we've decided that we're actually going to predict the other person's favorite 
and greatest films. So I'm going to take Simon's greatest films. This is my guess, which is probably horrifically wrong at what may or may not be in his list. And then he's going to guess what may or may not be in my favorites list. So there was a miscommunication because I've only done three. And I've done five, five. But you've got a slash. That's true. I have a slash because I couldn't decide. So technically it's four. Okay. So whereas I have not taken a slash. No slashes. You're much more ruthless than I am though. No. Okay. So in terms of the way we're going to do this, we're actually going to start where I'm going. We'll start with the greatest. So I haven't put them in first second third in terms okay, of so, order so they're, they're just not all there. they're not in order of merit they're just these would be my t- okay. yeah these would okay. be in your list because that was way too hard okay um okay so the first one is star wars a new hope that's actually correct is it yes and can we can we really? come can we come back to that because yeah, there we'll is a very there's a very specific the reason why i would argue that star wars is a great film we can talk about even it now. if you hate it if i if i I was going to say win because I'm so competitive. If I get one right, then let's talk about it. Okay, right. So well, well I'll, I'll explain with Star Wars specifically. And by the way... Because I, I have a reason why I picked it. Yes. But you go and tell why you picked it. Okay, What do you want to start with your reason? Okay, so the reason why I picked it is because in terms of um, cinema history, it actually was incredibly influential in the fantasy sci-fi fiction i know you're quite strong in terms of whether it is sci-fi or not but to the generic audience they would say that it was sci-fi and the way that it changed cinema and the representation of that the forming of worlds in cinema was unbelievable and fundamental okay i think that is all correct however it does just scratch the surface and and here's why um now I'm going to put this as a caveat. You can hate Star Wars. I mean, you know, seek medical help if you do. But but you can hate Star Wars and it's still, a, you know, I would argue one of the greatest films ever made. And here is why. It divides cinema history literally into a kind of pair of epochs like BC and AD. Okay. Because before Star Wars, you have a lot of things within Star Wars that are taken from cinema history internationally, not just Hollywood. And by the way, not just cinema. I mean, you've got King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table in there. You've got Joseph Campbell and his hero's journey and so on. You've got Flash Gordon Buck Rogers serials. You've got The Wizard of Oz. You've got Westerns. You've got Japanese samurai movies. It, it's a it's an absolute... Um, Amalgamation of every kind is, of adventure, every kind of... It's a melting pot or a mixed salad or, I don't know, whichever metaphor oh, don't you Don't go could. mixed salad. That's way too healthy. Okay, well, let's, let's, let's go scientific and call it a compound, okay? Which is, which is, you know, when you, you take the ingredients but in, in, and it forms something different. Once again, okay. the tangentry, teaching you all about science. Okay, well, <laughs> don't know about compounds? Don't know what a... Co- okay, never mind. I know what a compound okay, is. Okay, some people don't. I just... <laughs> right, so didn't mean to belittle you. So um, that was actually on my list of greatest as well. Yes. So I I mean, I mean I'll, I'll just say another couple of things about Star Wars specifically, because what it then did that made it great was that it, it revolutionized visual effects. You know, mu- the use of music, sound effects, everything else was that was the, the lightning bolt from a clear sky. Yeah. And it, li- it was so ahead of its time. I mean, I would argue visual effects wise, it wasn't equaled until Jurassic Park. And storytelling wise, well, you know, obviously the story is as old as the hills, but it was done so well that it that it kind of it, it resonated the other thing as well politically if you look at the political landscape of the 1970s particularly in america it was a very bleak time where you just had watergate and vietnam and a whole bunch of things the american psyche had had enough of bad news and to suddenly have this film that's so cheerful and uncynical 
in such a revolutionary way. And it probably was I almost think... cathartic for people because it gave you a place to have feelings outside of what we consider the world. It was yes. a whole new world, a whole new environment, all new races, characters, creeds, colors, Yes, and it was pure escapism in that sense. But the interesting thing about it is also this, because what it did was it, it rewound cinema back to the start, which, of course, when cinema started, it was spectacle. It was a train arrives into a railway station and everyone runs out of the cinema screaming because they think a train's going to hit them, okay? Yeah. What Star Wars did was no different in a sense. People are ducking and diving where spaceships are flying over their heads and so on, and those the, the imagery in that film is very much in that tradition um and so it's that as well and now here's where it gets interesting okay sorry but this is actually quite a big topic um what then happened is you have what peter bogdanovich the director have you heard of peter bogdanovich did he did uh, okay he directed what's up doc okay yes. but he also did the last picture show and other very interesting films now he called what star wars did and actually also what Jaws did to a, to a lesser extent, the juvenilization of cinema. Okay. Now, I agree and disagree with him. Obviously, I don't agree because I think those are outstanding films. But I take his point because Star Wars is responsible for so much of the good and bad that came afterwards. So without Star Wars, you wouldn't have Indiana Jones, you know, Jurassic Park, Forrest Gump, the CGI revolution, the Lord of the Rings films, etc., etc., etc. I mean, just so much you just wouldn't. You wouldn't have Pixar. Well, because one you thing have... to point out would be LucasArts. Exactly. You wouldn't have Pixar. You wouldn't have... There's so much you just wouldn't have, okay? Um, on the other hand, it also made Hollywood studios increasingly and cynically reliant on big summer blockbusters, which yes. got rid of a, the... It basically called an end to what I call the second golden era of Hollywood in the 1970s, where there was unprecedented um, artistic freedom. And so that kind of got quashed as well, and that's why Bogdanovich was annoyed. And interestingly, yes, you you have... You, it means you have great movies, but it also means you have Transformers. Yes, okay? 100%. So there's... That's the problem. And so it's it's responsible for everything for better and worse that came afterwards. It's a bit like, you know what, it's a bit like church history. Okay. It's like it's like Star Wars is the Messiah, okay? And then <laughs> and then everything that came afterwards, you know, like Hollywood, oh wow, well, everything's gonna change after that, and then suddenly, um, but there's an awful lot of bad that comes along with it, you know, like when the church messed things up with the Spanish Inquisition and so on. Sorry, I'm really stretching the metaphor. <laughs> no, that's there. okay, but what I was yeah. gonna say is it's a thing that happens often is Hollywood will see something that works and they'll beat it to death. Okay. To try and bleed more money from it, more success. By the way, by the way, things. Star Wars is not the Messiah. Just before we get, you know, um, upset fundamentalist Christians, <laughs> I don't really care. Okay, um, okay, so that's good. I got one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My next one. This is a very. I don't. If it's on your list, I don't want to offend you. This is quite an obvious one. Okay. Now I picked it. I haven't seen this, and you know I haven't seen this. Um, in fact, the next three that I've picked, I haven't seen, and you okay. know I haven't seen them. So the Citizen Kane. Yes, correct. Is on that my on your list? list? It's on my list. Yes. <laughs> two for two. Yes. Okay, so why is that on your list? Okay, Citizen Kane. Because I haven't seen this, okay. and I know I should. All right, I'm going to have waiting. to be careful then if you haven't seen it, and I don't want to get. I mean, to be fair, I didn't talk spoilers with Star Wars. No, either. you didn't. Not that there's there's probably about two and a half people that haven't seen that, but Citizen Kane. And I'll if you it. haven't, you should go see it right now. Just spend the weekend, whatever you can, binge it all, enjoy it. It's amazing. Yes, you're welcome. So, now, Citizen Kane uh, is an extraordinary film. I mean, the interesting thing about Kane is, I think, I, I, I might be wrong here, but off the top of my head, I can't think of another Hollywood director who peaked with his first film in the way that Orson Welles did. And I think that Citizen Kane is an unparalleled artistic triumph. What it did, 
there were a number of things that it did technically, for example, that were revolutionary in terms of deep focus cinematography, use of sets with ceilings on sets, which is just things like that that just hadn't been done. And then narratively, it, the flashback structure was, again, groundbreaking. By the way, Citizen Kane contains my all-time favourite dissolve shot. Did you know I have an all-time favourite dissolve? That's didn't but it doesn't surprise me okay so it's it's during it's just before a flashback scene where there's a guy in the in the the right hand side of the frame and you see his face and the background dissolves out behind him and then his head goes too and i just love the way that looks yeah it looks wonderful and again for a film in you know for when it was made in 1941 you just think that that was revelation no one would have seen anything like it just looked incredible i think that must have been an amazing time in cinema though because you there was so much more that hadn't been done and so there was far fewer people well, doing okay. it. Okay, so you know how you know how in t- today's films you get a lot of computer graphic assisted shots where something will go up to a window and then through the glass seemingly yeah, and into the room. Well, and I was so thinking on. of that Lord of the Rings shot where you hear Gandalf's voice in the mountain and all of a sudden it goes into the mountain yes. down and yes. then you see Gandalf yeah. fighting the. Bomb. Well, there's a there's a there's a Boilers. scene in Lord of, in, sorry in Lord of the Rings in Citizen Kane where. It's near the beginning of the film and it's outside a, a house near a sort of skylight uh, and it's raining outside and the camera goes through the skylight and into the into the um into the the the, the room below. And I remember just seeing that that how did they do that? I mean it's it's more than one shot actually, but it's done so well. brilliantly. Um and you and you and you just j- things like that which were incredible. Now the story itself is interesting because it's about you do you are you aware of the plot at all? Okay, so Charles Foster Kane, the um, newspaper media tycoon, is on his deathbed, okay, in Xanadu, his kind of, you know, ridiculously um, plush surroundings where he lives. And um, his dying word is rosebud. And you see this amazing close-up of his, his mouth. So, it's so eerie and enigmatic, and rosebud, okay. And he drops this snow globe that he's holding in his hand and you see in the and it shatters on the floor and in the reflection on the glass on the broken snow globe you see the nurse running in and he's dead yes okay and then it goes into a newsreel of about his life and the fact that he's died and it sort of romps through in about five minutes essentially what's going to come in the film which is the events of his life and then it cuts to the newsreel stops and the guy's reviewing it and he says well actually i really want to get into the try and find out who he really was and find out what the heck Rosebud meant. Yeah, His dying words, what did that mean? And so he goes around, this investigative journalist, interviewing people from his past and trying to find out what Rosebud means. And that's the central enigma in the story. Now, and obviously I'm not going to spoil that, but I, I, it, it is a very, well, very... I plan to watch it, so please don't. Okay, it no, is on course, my list. Of course. The, the interesting thing is that some people have found Citizen Kane to be, um, you know, quite a cold um, film. But I actually think it's a fascinating rise and fall. In one, in one sense, it's like, like any other rise and fall story, but it's kind of told with such verve and and cinematic brilliance and Orson Welles is just wonderful in it I mean obviously direct as a director and as an actor okay so question for you is this a movie that needs to be seen on a cinema screen oh well ideally but not to the same degree that Star Wars does okay uh, I mean you know obviously and I mean I've seen it in the cinema I've seen it, I actually first time I saw it was on television but then I have seen seen it in the cinema since then okay so I think my next guess does need to be seen on a cinema screen okay, and we've ju- spoken about but can this. i just say one more thing about citizen kane sorry okay, this, one is, more. this is the trouble final thing okay final thing about citizen kane uh the guy who um he charles foster kane is based on okay he uh william randolph hurst he 
because it was supposed he I say it's based on him it's not based on him but he it was very clearly about his life even though it wasn't okay tried to have the film suppressed interesting and and almost succeeded wait who is it based on William Randolph Hearst the newspaper type interesting so he Patty Hearst was his daughter and that was a whole another interesting exactly scenario. so he tried to have the film suppressed okay because of a well I, I you can research it but after you've watched the film research what rosebud meant to him oh okay, okay. Interesting. So, it's a little bit rude okay so um i think it's interesting and he tried to have the film suppressed and we would never have had citizen kane if he had succeeded That's so crazy. thank god that he didn't succeed okay so my right. next guess 2001 a space odyssey okay that's the wrong answer oh, God. but I, w- I will it's a good guess no but let's not talk about it then because okay. we have to keep moving okay we'll do 2001 right. on another so 2001 i love 2001, 2001 but no it's not on your list of greatest uh it's not it, it is on well on a longer list yes but not not in the top five okay and my fourth guess okay is casablanca no <gasps> two for two all right so talk about what are the other ones that okay. are on these your are all list great then. films that you're mentioning by the way Thank undoubted you. classics you know <laughs> Absolutely. But I did get two. So you I'm did get super two. Okay, so I'm gonna that. I'm gonna just tell you the others. I've, we've talked Citizen Kane. Okay, the other ones on my list: um, Battleship Potemkin. Is a I've ru- never heard of it's that. It's a Russian film from uh, the 1920s, an extraordinary piece of work. Okay, I'd highly recommend it. It's one of the, it's well, it's the great plural protagonist film where the entire proletariat as it were are the protagonist yes and it's about uh, an uprising on is it like a super marxist film or it's yes it's basically a piece of of communist propaganda so for anybody listening let's just quickly unpack marxism super super quick you've got the bourgeoisie and you've got the proletariat the bourgeoisie are those who have an immense amount of money and they control the means of production the industry etc and the proletariat are the working class who don't realize that they are being controlled and subjugated. Yeah, I mean, it's it's exactly what you said. It's propaganda, but it is amazing cinema, okay? I highly recommend anyone watch it. It's not so highbrow that you can't just watch it and enjoy it. It's a really great silent film because it's so visceral and fast-paced and, and, and thrilling. I mean, the famous sequence in it, which has been celebrated slash plagiarised by directors like Brian De Palma in The Untouchables, for example, is the... Odessa step sequence where there's a baby in a pram bouncing down a set of steps while the, this massacre is going on and it is unbelievable I mean even now it's shocking yeah. you know it's it's an amazing piece of cinema um for anybody turned off by the word silent film why is it worth watching well, why would anyone be turned off by the word silent film? Because not everybody's Because film is, <laughs> silent film is pure cinema. I mean, you know, I honestly, you know, you know what? Here's my thing. If you don't like, okay, you know what? If you don't like silent cinema, uh, you, you have to watch one film and then tell me you don't like silent cinema with a straight face. And you know what that is? The General. Buster Keaton's The General. Watch that and then come back to me, look me in the eye and tell me you don't like silent cinema. I mean... I really think there are so many great silent films I could mention, but that's the one I always go to as one of the most funny, entertaining, action-packed, does all his own stunts, obviously. I mean, it's it's. I saw that. That was like a religious experience when I saw that film for the first time. I was listening to an interesting conversation the other day, and they were talking about the fact that silent film may be harder for people or young people today to grasp because they're not as good at reading body language due to social media, the lack of interaction, etc. Whereas audiences that only had silent film, 
all they had to go on was reading body language and hearing the yes, music. Yes, but the films were always accompanied, you see. Music is a universal language. And so if you ever watched a silent film with a live accompaniment... Okay, I have. All right, it's brilliant. I went to see Alfred Hitchcock's uh, The Lodger from the 1920s, early Hitchcock film, very sinister about a serial killer, okay, in the 1920s. And it's absolutely brilliant. And I saw it with a live accompaniment, okay, with the, the organ and the Wurlitzers and the guy. It just... Abs- and they had so many cool sound effects... And pieces of music that were just... And they tell you exactly... They tell the audience what to feel. Yes. And you've got to remember that, in in a sense, a silent film is never silent because there was always the soundtrack and they would keep it to a visual medium. And obviously the dialogue is minimal. They have intertitles where you absolutely have to have it. But it's all told visually. And that's pure cinema. That's what cinema is. And you know what? Uh, recently, there was a silent film that won Best Picture. The Artist in, was it 2012? 2012. I was um, going to say, for anybody listening who is highly sceptical, maybe that's a good gateway drug, is to watch something like The, the Artist. artist and I mean, I could give you a list of great silent films. <laughs> I mean, you think about something like, uh, you know, The Passion of Joan of Arc by, uh, oh, Carl Dreyer, okay. I mean, that film is extraordinary. There are things in that, like the dolly... Sh- that, By the way, that could have been on this list. The the dolly shots they use, that this, there are techniques in that, that that weren't done again until Spielberg came along, okay? I mean, it, and it's an extra... And they use transcripts from the Joan of Arc trial in that film. It's incredible. I highly recommend... Again, it's absolutely riveting. I don't understand how anyone could... could could anyway well if you were skeptical you should definitely tell us that you were skeptical and let us know if you've been converted go to our yeah, okay, facebook you know page what, you know or what? tweet I, us because we want to know thing. another thing about silent cinema okay? okay so horror movies so the first great horror movie the doc the cabinet of dr caligari oh, i thought you were going to say nosferatu i know that that would be my second choice but that's probably like the second great horror film but they're both german expressionist films but yes. well caligari is a lot more german expressionist but interesting thing about um I'll stay off Caligari for now, but I'll just say this, it, it, that, that with Nosferatu, which I was going to go on to mention, the other lovely thing about silent cinema is they have um, tints. They would project them with red tints, blue tints, whatever. So yes. again, they're in colour a lot yeah. of the time. So this this idea that it's all black, actually they would put colour filters into it. So if you watch a print of Nosferatu and a title comes up saying night has fallen and it's obviously daytime they forgot to put the tint in that's why they haven't put the blue tint in to make it look which is actually because i actually the very first print i saw of nosferatu had that error in it but it's since been corrected but um you know and you know another another okay and widescreen i mean napoleon okay abel gantz's napoleon ever heard of that no. Okay, it's very long. You need annual leave to see it, okay? <laughs> but it's 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 something like 5 hours long. But it's absolutely revolutionary in terms of the it it was did widescreen way ahead of the 1950s um by using three projectors projecting simultaneously on certain battle scenes. Yes, to give you the and scope. It's uh, the thing is it used to be really really hard to see because it was you know, it was only people like film scholars like me that sort of poured over it, but it's just had I think the year last year or the year before it had a major restoration and re-release. So it's now been digitally done, okay? Yes. So you can see it in cinemas, you there's can get no the, excuse. There's no excuse. You can get the Blu-ray, you can, you know, and it, it is an amazing piece of visual poetry. It is astonishing. Um there we are. Sorry. I was just going to say, with all the love in the world. Yes. All right. What's your next one? Okay. So, so we've done Battleship Potemkin. Or I, I like to think. Oh no, I've got to say one more thing about Potemkin. Okay. <laughs> okay. So this is the last. The thing. last thing. Okay. It was banned in the UK until the 1950s because they were worried it would um, start a revolution here as well. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. It was finally released with cuts with an X certificate in in 
I can't remember the exact year, but it was in the 50s. And uh, yeah, it's you can see it uncut now, of course. Censorship. Right. So what's the next one? The next one on my list. Um, okay, we're going to stay with silent cinema for a minute. Okay. Okay, now controversy time. Yes. I want to say in advance, this is a good example of a film that I acknowledge as a masterpiece. But you hate. But I... Dislike. I, I, no, I think I'm going to say I hate it. Yeah. Okay. And, and you'll understand why in a minute. Birth of a Nation. Oh, okay. okay. Which is... Also, a bit racist. A bit racist. Okay, it's, it's very racist. It's exceptionally racist. <laughs> yeah. Okay, but here's the interesting thing about see, D. W. Griffith made hundreds of films. He's really only remembered for for probably two or three. But this, but he had a lot of experience. But you see, Birth of a Nation in 1915. What that did was it laid down the how you make a film, how yes. you tell a film visually with medium shots, close ups, with this, with that. It, it laid down the grammar of cinema, so you can't ignore it. Okay, it is an undoubtedly great film. I mean, however, I have to say, if you happen, if you are so inclined, and you are a you know a member of the Ku Klux Klan and a racist or whatever, you're probably going to be pretty bored because the Klan don't even turn up until about halfway through it, and then absurdly, of course, they emerge as a heroic body of people. It's repugnant, and they have you know the, the the whole blackface thing and everything else. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous, but it is brilliant cinema. Would you have said that film was tone deaf even for its time? Yes, I would have said so. Yeah. I mean, even for its time, it was... Rid- I mean, you know, it makes Gone with the Wind look like a civil rights tract, okay? <laughs> it really does. It's it's unbelievably racist. However, do you know what's really odd, though? Yeah. Okay, because D.W. Griffith... I, I, he I, didn't consider... He didn't consider no. it racist. And, and one of the things that... He was stung by criticism of it as racist. So do you know what he did? I mean, you know, talk about unable to see the nose in front of his face, whatever. Uh, he, his next film after that, a film called Intolerance, which I really do like... Okay, and if you if you told me what's my favorite D.W. Griffith film, it's Intolerance, which is an extraordinary film. It's at various lengths. There are various cuts of it, but it's set over, you know, four different eras of various civilizations in the world about. And it's a passion. The overall message of it is a passionate plea for tolerance yes. in all these different, you know, and, and, I, and it's lavish and epic and all the rest. But, you know, I, I much prefer that. To the birth of a nation, but birth of a nation is the one that laid down the grammar of cinema, and so we have to mention it. Otherwise, we are not telling the full truth. Yeah, which is okay. important. Okay. But it is incredibly racist. Last but not least, Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. Ah, interesting. I was going to put that on my list for you, but I didn't know if you would put that in your favorite or your greatest. Okay. Um, the thing about Vertigo is this: it's a film that has slowly crept up on me. It's gradually got under my skin like an infectious disease. Um, I first saw that it works when, very well with the film. Yeah, I mean, I I saw that I saw the film first when I was sixteen, and I thought it was brilliant, but it was far from my favorite Hitchcock film. And yes. well, I know we're not talking about favorite, but I didn't necessarily see it as the influential piece that Psycho was, for example, yes. or in the the fun piece that North by Northwest was, or with the same suspense and tension of something like Rear Window. Yes. Okay. So I. I you know what, I, I kind of was, nah, I get why it's great, but it you know, didn't really do much for me. And then every, and by the way, the reason for that, one of the reasons, an hour and 15 minutes into the film, there's a big reveal about what's happening. And I remember thinking, scratching my head and thinking, why have you told me that now? There's another 45 minutes of film to go. Why have you sort of told me the big mystery now? Lull you into a false sense of security. But, well... This is the interesting thing. Every subsequent viewing has underscored the brilliance of that reveal. Because what it does is... It's very hard to talk. Have you seen Vertigo? Yes. Okay. Well, 
the whole Vertigo is for me the greatest film ever made about obsession. Okay, and there are lots of great films about obsession, but this one is probably the greatest. And I think that because it's so terrifying psychologically, the breakdown that he goes through the 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 um, uh, James Stewart character. And he, because he's obsessed with something that actually doesn't exist, yes, which is terrifying, and I think speaks volumes about the delusions of you know romantic delusions and so on and so on. And but which is a, a very common thing that most of us go through in some way, shape, or form, whether that's a crush, or whether that is, um, let's say, there's a girl at work you like, and it's just never reciprocated, but you pick up on things that don't. It's not, but it's not more, I would argue it's more complicated than that because it's not just that it's not reciprocated. In this case, it is reciprocated, but what he doesn't know is who she really is. Yes. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So there's the so there's the that whole I, that whole dynamic is terrifying. I mean, you know, I I mean, I I can from in my own life, I have had a crush on someone, okay, and discovered actually they are not the person that I've projected onto them. Yes. And that's quite devastating to discover. You know, it's a bucket of cold water in the face when you realise actually this person is not. Who you know, I thought they were. Yeah, I yeah. thought they were pretty, but they were, you know, had pulls the the rug out from under your feet. It does. It I realize spins your whole world. It gives you vertigo. It does. It does, and I think that that's a great metaphor. Obviously, it's both literal and metaphorical in the yeah. film, and I think that the story itself is is perhaps been done many times before in different ways, but I think the way it's done, and also here's the other reason for it: Hitchcock, all of his films, most of his films are fast paced. And, you know, most of them have happy endings and they're kind of, you know, they're, 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 they're I mean, so Hitchcock always said this, my films aren't slices of life, they're slices of cake. Yes. Okay. They're just entertainments. He didn't believe you should read anything terribly deep into them. <laughs> but here's the... Here's people the, will try, though. People try to. But the interesting thing about Vertigo, Vertigo is a, an example of a master craftsman working within the Hollywood studio system, but producing a 100% uncompromised work of art, highly personal, and I don't think, whether he intended it or not, I think it does reflect his own obsession with his leading actresses, with the way he treated his leading actresses. It's a curious, almost confessional, I think, the film. And it, it and I love that about it, and I think that it's, it's fascinating on multiple levels, and it's gradually crept up in my affections with multiple viewings. It just gets better every time I watch it, to the point now where it's number two. It it, it can't quite edge out my favourite, but I say we're not talking about favourite, we're talking about greatest, which is why I would put it on this list. Interesting. Okay, that's it. That is our list of, of greatest done. So, do you want to review that again? So, I got Star Wars, A New Hope, and Citizen Kane, and then the other three? Uh, and the other three were um, Vertigo, Birth of a Nation, and Battleship Potemkin. Interesting. Uh, do we do? How much time do we have left on this podcast? Because I wasn't, um, I wasn't sure if uh, <laughs> we're just asking Alex now to see if because yeah, <laughs> we're we're not sure if we should carry on. But maybe we should just carry on. So. Okay. So, okay. Um, well, do we want to go on to? Do we want to split it into two? I think podcasts? we should split this into okay. two. So you've just heard our breakdown on our list of of the greatest films yes. but we've just realized that we've talked so long that we're probably going to have to make this a two-parter so yeah. wait with bated breath we promise we'll release it in consecutive weeks for our list of favorites which will be interesting i'm fascinated to see what you think my favorite films are because i'm not sure you got them i don't think i did either i don't know but i'd be interested to see what you think i would like because i think that will be fascinating as well but from us at the tangent tree we're going to say uh, goodbye. We'll love you. We'll leave you in the lurch. 
feeling hopeless maybe with a little bit of vertigo yourselves uh feel free to look in the show notes make sure that you're following us online we have regular blogs that come out like us on facebook start to tell us a little bit about what you would like to hear us discussing what tangents you want us to go off on are there any contentious films that you would dare simon to speak about because i think that would be funny i'd be interested in that but yeah from me sam and from me simon we'll see you guys next time on the tangent tree